Would you open your copy of the scripture to Psalm 119? Psalm 119. While you're doing that, let me just tell you how good it is to preach to more than 10 people. I knew you were out there on uh, live stream, but I couldn't see you. <laughs> but it's good to see you in person to worship with you. Psalm 119. This morning, I want to talk about a subject that I'm sure will resonate with you. How to be happy. The world is often an unhappy place. Sadness and depression seem to be the reigning reality in the lives of most people. What happiness is experienced for many is like the morning dew. It's here for a little while and it evaporates. Being happy, in fact, is a universal goal of men and women. Some think that it is found in the acquisition of money and power. Forget enough money, I'll be happy. If I have sufficient power to have people do what I want, it'll gratify me, I'll be happy. Others believe that um, happiness is derived from a right relationship, a love relationship. In fact, one well-educated author and television personality approaching middle-aged age recently said, I heard this with my own ears, that she wants a husband who will make her happy. I said, good luck to that fella. <laughs> Mercy. <laughs> uh, I said, hey, hold up, brother. I don't, don't do it. Anyway. Being happy is such an important matter to humanity, and even in the United States Declaration of Independence, these words are found, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Being happy, I want you to understand something, it is not an illegitimate aim. God wants you to be happy. He is not a celestial killjoy saying, I, I don't want them to be happy. I don't want them to be happy. I, I don't want that for them. No, God is not like that. He does want you to be happy. In fact, the word blessed in verses 1 and 2 of our text, Psalm 119, mean in part happy. Happy. How happy are those whose way is blameless. Verse 2, how happy are those who observe his test? It can be rendered that way. But the happiness that is mentioned here is not a superficial passing happiness rooted in the shifting ground of favorable circumstances. No, this is a solid kind of happiness. This isn't a shifting sands kind of happiness. The blessed are happy are such because they have a, now get this, a deep-seated joy and satisfaction from following the word of God. That's how their happiness comes. And that's what this, this psalm is teaching here in these first eight verses, the Aleph stanza. 
following the word of God provides a deep-seated joy and a satisfaction. God blesses people when they do that. So, God's means or his way of happiness is related to doing life his way. His way. You want to be happy? <laughs> Live life according to his direction. And he provides here in our, our text a blueprint for how to be happy, how to do life his way. And I would like to point out here, in the first four verses, what the Spirit of God has done through the pen of the anonymous author here is, is given us a blueprint, our characteristics, the characteristics of happy saints. Characteristics of happy saints. First thing you'll notice in verse 1 is they walk in the law of the Lord. The terms way there in uh, verse 1, the A portion, and the word walk there in the B portion of verse uh, 1 are crucial to understanding happy people. Their way or their path in life, the path they walk, is directed by the word of God. Are the law of the Lord. Their walk, that is their conduct, their conversation, habitually conforms to the law of the Lord. When you see them, it is their routine in life to live their life consistent with the Word of God. It is how they live. It's regular for them. It's not an exception. It is the way it is for them. Day in and day out. Whatever the law says, Torah, that is the Hebrew word there, Torah, and it is the word translated law here, and it means instruction, moral instruction. God, in his word, has given to man moral instruction, that is what's right and what is wrong according to him. Put it another way, these people live according to the Bible. And they understand where the law comes from. They understand where the instruction comes from. They understand the direct declaration of what is right and what is wrong, where it comes from. That's why it says here, of the Lord, verse 1, the B part, who walk in the law of the Lord. Those three words, of the Lord, signifies that it comes from him. It comes from the Lord and is therefore authoritative. You want to be happy? You have to walk under the authority of God's word. You must submit to it. You can't be a rebel and expect to experience his happiness. You can't reject it. You can't do your thing and expect God to make you happy. You want happiness, you must come under the authority of God's word. And his authority, his authority over you and over me is expressed in his word. And that authority must be seen in our daily living. The happy person is a practical transcript of the will of God. 
You and I ought to be living examples, living transcripts. People ought to be able to read the word of God, his will, that is, by looking at us. Now, what happens when people walk this way? You notice in verse 1, the B, the A portion, the last word there, blameless. Blameless. Blessed are the blameless. Blessed are the happy. Uh, happy are the blameless. A blameless person is one who has spiritual integrity. Their life and lips are synchronized. They're in sync. Um, they profess faith in Christ. And their life backs it up. They have integrity. They don't say they're one thing, but by their life they deny it. That's how they're blameless. They're people of integrity. I know you want to know, well, what does a person of integrity look like? Keep your finger here. Go in your Bible, stay in the Psalter, but go to the 15th Psalm, Psalm 15. And just a brief exposition of that portion of the Psalter. And we'll draw out of it a few things that tell us what God says a person of integrity is. Psalm 15. And uh, we're going to uh, draw our attention to verse 2. And following in Psalm 15. Here's an elaboration then on blamelessness. Blamelessness. Notice in verse 2 He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. That's what we find here. This is a joining of life and lip he speaks truth in his heart and he walks in integrity verse 3 he does not slander his with his tongue the a portion there does not maliciously verbally attack others his or her tongue is under control they don't destroy people with their words they um refuse to do that they don't destroy people's reputations verse 3 again nor does evil does evil to his neighbor does not bring harm to anyone neighbors anybody they don't harm their neighbor verse 3 again the C portion, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. He does um, not do that. Discredit his friend in the eyes of others. They don't want to make other people look bad before other people. This is a person of integrity. Then in verse uh, 4, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised. 
Um, he rejects their de defiling influence, associations, and partnerships. Those people who are reprobates, those people who rejected God's law, his covenant, who say no to his word, that person says, I cannot associate with them, their influence. I don't want their association. But what he does, you'll notice in verse 4, he, he honors those who fear the Lord. That is, he affirms and associates those with those who honor God. Then what about his money? Money will tell the tale. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Before I go to that one, I don't want to leave last, last one in verse 4. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. Uh, he keeps his promises. He doesn't make a promise and doesn't fulfill it. He or she is a person of their word. Now we get to the money. Verse 5, he does not put out his money at interest or usury. You see, sometimes people are in trouble and need help, and, but he doesn't charge interest. He says, I'll give it to you, not to take advantage of your situation. I'm not going to charge you interest. That's a person of integrity. He's not for personal gain at the expense of others. What's interesting? You want to fellowship with God? You want to worship with, worship God? You have to be like this. It's what God wants. That's why it says in verse 1, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? Who will ascend and worship you? You have to have these characteristics. Now, a person who uh, engages in doing these things at the bottom of the passage verse 15 says he who does these things will never be shaken they will have stability God will grant stability to that person let's go back with me if you will to Psalm 119 Psalm 119 let's look at the second characteristic of those who um, are happy saints you'll notice in verse 2, the be part, it says, who seek him with all their heart. Part of seeking the Lord is obeying his testimonies. And we uh, see that in the A portion of verse 2. Observe his testimonies. Testimonies, i.e., what God solemnly testifies to be his will. There cannot be any true seeking of the Lord apart from obedience to his known will. You can't seek God if you're not obeying what he's made clear in his word. You can't be seeking God if you're not obeying what he's already laid out. But the question may arise as to who are these people who seek him with all their heart? Since they belong to him, how is it that they seek him? Well, first of all, it's because they belong to him. <laughs> you say, well, okay, that helps, maybe. Explain further. I'll let Charles Haddon Spurgeon do that. He explains what this means, who seek him with all their heart. Quote, they want to commune with him more closely, to follow him more fully, 
to enter into more perfect union with his mind and will, to promote his glory, and to realize all that he is to their holy hearts. End of quote. That's it. They want to be closer to him. Closer communion. They want to follow him more closely. They, they don't want to be distant. They want to close the gap, as it were. Less and less daylight between them and the Lord. There's real communion in prayer and fellowship and, and, and the word of God. Uh, that's what they want. They want their mind to be in union with his mind. That is, they want to think his thoughts after him. They're, they're interested in his glory. Not their personal pursuits. God, I want you to be glorified. That's seeking him. They, they want to have all that he is. As much as any finite human being can have God made known to their holy hearts. Song uh, we used to sing, or at least I heard it when I was younger, growing up, just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus, I think these are the words, if you please. Christians would sing that, I, I, just a closer walk with thee. That is the cry of the heart of a believer. They want to be closer to the Lord. They don't want some distant, superficial relationship. They want to be close to him. He is the joy of the heart. He is their treasure. He is the one whom they love supremely, and they want to get to know him better and commune with him more closely. That's one who seeks him. And they do it with all their heart. The heart is undivided. They're not over here and over there and over this thing and that thing. Uh, everything else has a little part of the heart. God, he get whatever's left over. No. They want to seek with all their heart. You want to be happy? You want the happiness that's deep-seated, is joyful, that satisfies, that comes from God. Here it is. Isn't it interesting? God predicates the happiness of people based on their relationship with him. It's not based on that thing, this thing, all that stuff. Whatever those things are, you can name them in your own mind. Uh, they are ephemeral. That is, they're transitory. They're here for a bit. You want something permanent? Here it is. A third characteristic of happy saints is found in verse 3. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. They are not sinless. That's not what the text is saying. Please don't think that. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. Remember Solomon said this, For there is no man who does not sin. 1 Kings 8 verse 46. That's right. For all have sinned, Romans chapter 3, and fall short of the glory of God. There is no person who doesn't sin. Oh, there was one exception. He's only one. That's right, just one. <laughs> who didn't sin, 1 Peter 2, 22 says this, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. He's the exception. And since he's the exception, he's the only one who didn't sin. Guess what that means about you and me? 
But the text says here, they also do no unrighteousness. Here's the deal. The happy have learned not to sin. Not to do unrighteousness. They've learned what God's will is from the scripture. And then they do it. That's what it means. H.C. Leupold wrote, quote, Note throughout the psalm how the law is sought for the very purpose of it being kept, not for the sake of attaining a theoretical knowledge of it. End of quote. You don't learn the word of God so that you say, I know what it says. You learn the word of God so you can do what it says. That's the point. God is not interested in you storing up a warehouse of knowledge and then you go out on the street and you leave all the knowledge in the warehouse. You have to do it. That's what the psalmist, those people did. You'll notice in the same psalm, the ninth verse, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Young men, you can't keep your way pure by locking yourself in a room. You can't do it. You're going to be out in the world. You're going to see stuff, hear stuff, be tempted by things. How do you keep your way pure? How do you keep your way clean? Here it is. By keeping it, your way that is according to God's word. That's how you do it. When the temptation comes, when the smut comes, when the whatever comes to tempt you as you're living your life as a Christian, you say, wait, wait, wait. That's not what God's word says for me to do. You keep your way clean that way. Verse 11, your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Notice, that's why the word is given. I want to keep it. Verse 33. Psalm 119. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. And I shall observe it to the end. Notice the teaching is for the living. The doing it. Verse 34. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. There it is. They, they walk in his way. Verse 3, again. Psalm 119, verse 3. Uh, they walk in his way. That's why they do no unrighteousness. They walk in his way. God's ways or his will is clearly marked out in Scripture. That path he's laid out is there, and all you do is walk in it. Well, let's look at the fourth characteristic of happy saints. This is verse 4. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. The fourth characteristic of happy saints is they recognize and respond to the purpose of God's precepts. Precepts. That's a synonym for uh, God's word. It denotes what God has appointed to be done. The happy ones are, you notice the word diligent? Diligently. 
we should keep them diligent God's laid down what should be done and we are to keep them diligently they're happy to bless ones they're diligent they're careful they're conscientious to do what the Lord has said to be done they're paying attention they're listening they're reading it's, ah, this is what God has laid down to do that's what I'll do they're conscientious obedience is not accidental it is not a hit or miss proposition in your Christian walk you must be diligent conscientious to do what God wants let me just add something you don't want to hopscotch in scripture remember that game we play as kids hopscotching I don't remember why we did it or what it meant but I know we jumped over things you don't jump over all of it his precepts all of them have been appointed for us to be done so we don't say I like this one I don't like that one oh no that doesn't comport with what I want to do so I won't no no you do them all no cherry picking that's how uh, saints are happy are you happy how to be happy (laughs) it's the word of God this is from God himself he said this is how you do it now let's look at another point the personal desire for godly happiness verses 5 through 8 the uh, perceptive reader will notice that in verses 5 through 8 the psalmist has shifted to the first person singular whereas in the first three verses it was the third person plural in the first three verses he was talking about them here in verses five through he's talking about my and I he shifts his focus from those happy saints and he now is looking at himself So now that's what you do. We've seen what those people in verses 1 through 3 do. We see how they live and why they're blessed. Now he's saying, oh, but this is how I I want what they have. So he focuses on himself and his spiritual desire. He has holy aspirations. He's a godly man, but he is not content with the spiritual status quo. He is not content with where he has uh, arrived spiritually at this point. He sees there's more to go. There's a greater, uh, greater mountain to climb. There's, you can keep climbing, keep climbing. That's what he wants. He, In fact, he wants to emulate them. Imitation of those who set godly examples is justified in scripture yes it is the apostle Paul said to the Corinthians 1 Corinthians 11.1 be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ Paul said I'm following Christ I'm imitating Christ and what you do you look at my life and you imitate me as I follow Christ that's Christian living. You, you want to be Christ-like. And when there are examples of Christ-likeness in your midst, look at them. Imitate them. 
imitation is justified. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Paul writes, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Look at God. You want to know what love looks like? Look at God and imitate him. Philippians 3.17, the Apostle Paul writes, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. He laid down a pattern. By the way, spiritual leaders are to set the example for godly living, for Christ-likeness. If a spiritual leader is not doing that, then you don't need to follow that leader. If they're not Christ-like, you need to turn away from them. Now, this man, the writer of this psalm, this anonymous author, as I've told you, he's seen them and he wants to imitate them. He wants to rise to the level of godly living like them. He recognizes that he has not yet attained He knows it because in verse 5 he says, Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Those words, oh, that my ways. This is not a simple exclamation, but a petition to Yahweh. is a cry of the, the godly heart for divine aid. He is saying, God, help me. This prayer is prima facie evidence that God is already really working in his heart because when a person prays like this, that means that God is already prompted to pray like that. And God is working in him. And this man is saying, God, help me. See what the text says, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This is a prayer that God will readily answer. This is his will. When you pray this prayer, I bet you, your paycheck, mine, and everybody else's. If you're a child of God, God will answer that. By the way, I'm not a betting man. I just use that. You understand what I'm saying. He'll answer that prayer. He'll establish your ways and his statutes. Now, the synonym for his word, established, that is, he'll preserve you in keeping his statutes. It is his grace that's at work. Are you like the unnamed saint of old? Has this been your prayer? Do you want to be faithful to Yahweh with respect to his word? I'm going to tell you what happens. As one... One's love for holiness grows, the heart desires more of it. The holier you are, the more holiness you want. Remember Paul, Romans seven fourteen through 25. Um, That's what he wanted. Um, every time he wanted to do good, evil was present. Remember that? the indwelling sin and it it bothered Paul because he wanted to do the good the good is that is keep God's law he wanted to keep God's law perfectly 100% he didn't want to fail but 
he understood he couldn't, but he cried out about that whole matter. Holy man. Verse 6. Another motive. When God answers his prayer, establishes his way in keeping the statutes, then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. When his way is preserved, when he is doing what is right, when he's doing them, he won't be ashamed when he looks into the Bible and see, oh, I obeyed it. Rather than look into the Bible and realize, oops, I've fallen short here, oops, I've fallen short there, oops, I've fallen short in this place, and therefore being ashamed. being ashamed shame is result of disobedience by the way let me help you here if when you fail there's a remedy thank god for that amen because you will fail you will not perfectly keep god's law not in this life you will fail so what do you do you ask god for forgiveness and what does he do he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what all unrighteousness He, he does that thank god for that amen so you, you lift up your eyes in shame to God and say, yes, I failed to obey your word here. Forgive me and then help me, Lord, that I may be established in doing your will. Now he goes on. When you do these things for me, Lord, I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. God's word and an upright heart stimulates thanksgiving to God. And why do we thank him when we do this? Because it is the Lord who enables every act of obedience every instance of faithfulness every expression of personal holiness in our life it comes from him he enables it learning God's righteous judgments God deals righteously equitably fairly rewarding men and punishing them he wants to be conformed, this guy. And he does. Now, finally, verse 8. The psalmist resolves to keep the Lord's word. Notice what he says. Verse 8, the A portion. I shall keep your statutes. That's his resolution. I see what makes a person happy, and therefore I'm, I'm holy and I want to do that. I resolve I am going to keep your statutes. I am committed to obedience. I'm being obeying, obeying, but not like I want. So, but I'm steadfast here. But he also understands something else. The B portion. Do not forsake me utterly. He understands that his resolve to keep God's word depends on the work of God in his heart. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. It is God who is at work in us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So he prays, do not forsake me utterly. He is not saying, God, uh, don't leave me in an unsafe state. That's not it at all. He's saying, Lord, if you abandon me, if you don't work in me, if you don't do in me what's necessary, all my holy aspirations will come to nothing. I challenge you to pray this prayer. Have the same kind of resolve the psalmist did. Pray the prayer and see what God will do in your life. 
I've uh, alluded to it earlier, and I'm going to say it again as I conclude. This psalm conveys what is important to the Lord concerning us. This is how he wants us to think and live. Our happiness, our blessedness cannot be divorced from God's word. Our blessedness, our happiness, our blamelessness glorifies God. It displays the reality of his transforming work in our life. When you're walking in his way, it's the telltale evidence that you are being worked on by him. It glorifies him. Also, it is good for us. Because as I said earlier, when we do that, when we live according to his way, we're deeply satisfied. There's deep, seated happiness in the Lord. Somebody says, I don't know if that's so. Two things wrong with you. Number one, you don't believe God's word. Secondly, you've never lived a Christian life. Challenge you to do that. You want to be happy? It's God's way. That's how he does it. And if you do it, you'll be blessed. More than you can imagine. Let's pray pray together. Father, we thank you for the word of God. It's truth. It's clarity. May all of us be like the psalmist pursuing um, greater holiness to experience real happiness happiness that comes from you and not the world but given to us by you as we follow your word grant these things for your glory we pray for so those here who don't know christ jesus the living word incarnate word the word made flesh who came to die for sinners buried and raised again to life who's willing to save sinners pray for those who not his that you will save them have their sins forgiven and walk in newness of life call them to yourself today if you will for your glory and for their good in jesus name i pray amen